Hello and welcome to episode 326 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans' weekly podcast of many topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and for the first time in a long time, we're getting a little spooky on Retro Encounter. Not because it's Halloween, and we, we did the spooky episode in, Janu- in February this year as well, uh, but because we're here to talk about Castlevania again. In March of 2022, we are celebrating Metroidvania Month, uh, that very specific genre of... Uh, 2D action RPGs or 2D action games with RPG elements. It's kind of hard to define without including at least two series in the definition. But uh, to try and not define the term, but explore one game under that umbrella, I have three fine panelists for you, starting with Zach Wilkerson. Hello. Also, Alana Hags. Hey. And thirdly, Corey Tishbein. Hey there. Zach, Alana, Corey, Castlevania Aria of Sorrow is a 2003 Game Boy Advance game that was made much more convenient to play in fall of 2021 with the Castlevania Advance Collection coming out on a whole bunch of systems. I I have played each of the three Metroidvania games in that collection over the past several months, including Aria of Sorrow, which I finished a a week or two ago specifically for this podcast. And uh, I, I loved this game on the Game Boy Advance when it came out, I think it was, I, it had already been out a little while. I think I played it in 2004, let's say. And I, I was really pleasantly surprised at how well it held up. Uh, Alana, I know you love Castlevania just as much as I do. What was it like revisiting Aria of Sorrow for the podcast? Oh, yeah, pretty much the same. I mean, like, I didn't play Aria of Sorrow on the GBA originally. Um, I missed out on the GBA trilogy, in fact, entirely until uh they got re-released on the wii u um rest in peace wii u shop the next year um but um yeah um aria of sorrow quickly like jumped up to be one of my favorite castlevania games and this is the third time i've played it um and it's held up in every way like i remembered a lot more than i thought i did um and the map was really nicely laid out and i just kind of remembered the flow of it and yeah, I mean, like, I'm pretty familiar with Metroidvanias anyway, because I'm into them outside of the RPG-adjacent ones anyway. Um, but, yeah, was um, I was so glad this collection came out, because it had been rumoured for ages and ages and ages. And, you know, like, now we know that the Wii U eShop's going. Um, it's good that we can actually access these games. Yeah, I was really happy to play it again. I've been meaning to replay it for a while, so this was a good excuse. Konami has not been great about making new games in their most celebrated series but have done pretty well with things like arcade collections. I should say there are three collections of Castlevania games. Uh, First, the Requiem collection that has Symphony of the Night and Rondo of Blood on it. Then the Classics collection that has a bunch of the uh, older, um, strictly action Castlevania games. And now this uh, Advance collection, which is the three Game Boy Advance games, plus the Super Nintendo version of Dracula X slash Rondo of Blood. If, If that's... I don't know, like 20 out of the 25 Castlevania games you want? Something like that? Hmm, something. Not that hard to go back and play a bunch of old Castlevania games, and this Advanced Collection was, I think, a, 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 a such an excellent value. It was a complete no-brainer for me to get it on the Switch the day it released. But, uh, Zach, um, you probably have not played quite as much Castlevania as Alana or I, but how, <laughs> how has Aria of Sorrow treated you? Uh, well, I have not played nearly as much as either of you. Uh, in fact, this is only my second uh, Castlevania Metroidvania um, game. And in fact, I've been loudly beating a drum since I played Symphony of the Night like two years ago. Like, Mike, can we please play Aria of Sorrow? Mike, that is true. I, I have, I, I have, <laughs> I have, suge- it has been on the ideas board for at least two years, maybe longer. And, and we've almost made it the game of the month 
a couple times. <laughs> we, we decided to, you know, just make an executive decision have and throw this Metroidvania month and make Aria of Sorrow part of it. But uh, as that, please continue. Uh, yeah, and I was uh, very excited to finally get the opportunity to play it. Uh, I mean, I've been wanting to play uh, more of these, and Aria of Sorrow didn't disappoint. Um, I loved Symphony of the Night a lot. I'm not sure that I would put it quite on the same level in all categories, but there's some ways in which I thought it outstripped it. And I just like, I, I picked it up just on a whim, like a month ago, I was like, you know, I pick it up just because I know we're going to be playing it soon. And then like two days later, I was done <laughs> with 100% map completion because I thought it was amazing. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed my time with it. I, I did not get 100% map or 100% souls this time around, but I, uh, I, I definitely got my money's worth out of it. It took my, my playthrough was right around five and a half or six hours. I mean, but, I'm not a psychopath, so I didn't do 100% souls because only. Yeah, who would do that? Right? Would do that. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did a tiny bit of grinding just to get the, the Soul Eater ring. There was other stuff I wanted to play, so I, I moved on quickly after finishing Aria of Sorrow. But, uh, Zach, there is one person on this panel with even less Castlevania experience than you. Uh, Corey, correct me if I'm wrong, this was your first Castlevania game. That is totally correct, yeah. Um, so, so how did you find it? It basically showed me that Metroidvanias um, and Castlevania, more specifically, are definitely to my liking. Um, I got a kick out of the nonlinear progression. Uh, the tactical soul system, I really didn't even know this game featured that. I've never seen something like that before. Um, but it really kept the gameplay fresh. And exploring the castle was so much fun that it was tough to stop doing. Um, so I would echo everything Zach and Alana said. Awesome. Well, okay, this is going to be a very uh, appreciative, celebratory, toned episode because we all obviously love this game. But let's get into the game part of the game a little bit. Uh, uh, give me a, a short time to explain the story. You're a, a, a teenage boy named Soma Cruz. You have a female friend, Mina Hakuba. And at a, a, a Japanese shrine at, the, uh, at a solar eclipse, you're mysteriously teleported to a castle and in that castle, you meet a man named Arikado, who explains to Soma that he has powers uh, to control the souls of monsters. Then you meet Yoko, who's one of Arikado's allies, a man named Hammer, who's a, a friendly military man that sells you weapons, uh, a mysterious stranger named Graham, who is uh, working against Yoko and Arikado, and an even more mysterious stranger named Jay, who is amnesiac, but knows that he has something to do in the castle. And guess what? That 30-second ex explanation is about 90% of the game's story. It's your your uh, Soma is exploring the exploring the castle at at at, uh, at the player's own pace. Occasionally meeting one of these characters who are saying, "Well, uh, keep going, Soma. I have stuff to do somewhere else." And then they leave, and then you continue, and un until the very end when the uh, the drama the drama ramps up a little bit. But this game has some stories, some breadcrumbs, but really it's explaining in the first 30 seconds that Soma can defeat monsters and then use their powers and then just exploring as much of the castle and getting as many monster souls as you can. Uh, and then that soul is the, uh, though that soul collection and equipping uh, system is called the tactical soul system, as Corey mentioned before. And uh, I, 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 we were very obviously making fun of her earlier for it, but uh, Alana, you got every soul in the game uh, this time around. Tell us what that grind was like and, and maybe I don't know, one or two favorite souls you had to equip to get more souls? Oh, uh, yeah, so, I mean, like, even when you do 100% of Aria of Sorrow, it's still not going to take you much more than, like, 10 or 11 hours. I was on 10 and a half hours, but um, the Advanced Collection has a few nifty tricks, like rewind and save states, so I definitely abused that a little bit where possible. Um, 
it can be a real grind sometimes and like even you know because i think like an average symphony of the night playthrough would probably take me like eight or nine hours um but and an average aria would probably take me about five or six like um probably you and zach did mike but um i definitely found a couple very difficult there are a couple of very notorious ones like the poison worm the red minotaur was the last one i got which is like one of the end game enemies um which is also incidentally probably one of the best bullet souls which is the red souls which are all your attacking souls is, is that um, the gigantic axe that spins it, in a circle it sure is yeah, yeah i remember like, i remember that one right but I, I did not get it this time around yeah it's super good but it's really rare um so yeah it can get really frustrating especially when you've got like enemies um and i think this is like really cool anyway about the game is that like there are some enemies that only appear in like one or two rooms like you know, you've got the Tsuchinoko, which only appears in that one room down in the, um, oh God, it's in the dance it, hall. It's in the basement of the dan dance hall. Uh, it, it Sometimes it'll appear and sometimes it'll run away before you can even reach it. And then yeah. it'll, run, it'll run away anyway after you strike it two or three times. So you, you can't reliably farm it until a little bit later in the game. But, but once you get that soul and equip it, uh, it gives you a 20% discount at, at Hammer Something Scott. like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. If you want to get the most expensive stuff in the shop, the you you want the Suchinoko soul. And the, and, and the Suchinoko is ultra-specific, ultra-rare, but there's how many of these? 108, 110 to collect? Uh, it's 112. 110 sounds about right, yeah, because some bosses don't have them. Uh, you do get guaranteed drops from every boss except the first three, which have the fun like Symphony of the Night callback where the first couple of bosses become enemies later on, um, like the Manticore, the Skeleton, and what's the third boss? Um, it's one of the golems, isn't it? It's the Knight. Um, the Giant Sword, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, um, it, yeah, some of them can be a bit of a grind. Um, early on, I got very lucky and got the Valkyrie Soul, which is, can be a little bit tricky to get, so it's like a big awkward up slash um quite a long range as well so that did me really well for a while but i think one of my favorite souls which i got relatively soon after that is the disc armor soul um oh yeah and you it's can get, you, so good you can get multi-hits having it sort of like like buzz on the enemy it, it, yeah it, it's really good yeah so it's like a little yo it's like a big yo-yo you like throw outwards and then like it comes back to you so it's like two or three hits and it's really quick and pretty cheap as well um so yeah i got that pretty uneventfully so i was pretty glad to get that um i'm trying to think of other ones um black panther is one of the ones you get through story progression but that means you can like run it would like it costs like two mp a second but by the time you're at that point you can go through candlesticks and just replenish your mp as you go so and you can end it like especially if you like because you'll have uh like, like double jumps and a few other tricks by then yeah. you can really blaze through the castle once you have the black panther soul yeah, it helps when you're doing the soul grind. Um, also, Alistair is a really good support soul. Um, it's one of the very last enemies you encounter, but it summons a familiar, which is a giant sword. Um, so it's just extra damage, really. Yeah, that's a callback to Symphony of the Night that I enjoy because the sword familiar, the, the sword familiar in Symphony is amazing. Oh yeah, I love it. Yeah, the imp's pretty good as well, but he only like only good for like pressing that little button, isn't he? In symphony, yeah. Um, for for damage, it's the sword and then everything else. But you do need the imp to get to like one part of the castle. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then like in terms of yellow souls, I forget what all of these are actually called. Um, it's really one of the boss ones, the headhunter. Um, especially yeah. if you're doing a hundred percent souls, which boosts like every single stat but luck by like depending on how many souls you've got. So by the time 
um for for like for the record like i think the average level to beat this game on is somewhere between like 30 and 45 i was level 78 when i beat this game so i was definitely <laughs> overpowered um i went up 10 levels alone trying to get the red minotaur um so that's why i ended up being as overpowered as i was um but yeah like we've got 100 souls you put that on you put all of dracula's gear on and then you know you're ready to go really going through the game i got incredibly lucky and got w went through the underground waterway way too early uh, like without the uh without either of the souls that let you walk or or go through water but that uh, but that mantis was somehow somehow able to get a triton soul very early which Ooh, is which yeah. gives you which gives you strength plus 16 as a yellow soul so that was i had that equipped almost the entire game until i had enough souls to make the headhunter uh worth it and that we should mention the headhunter boss it's a boss right around the middle of the game it's a headless a uh, warrior that has three heads mounted on the wall of the room and one by one he puts on a new head to gain different <laughs> attacks and different powers and it's as a as a boss concept that's pretty good it, like like koji igarashi was having a lot of fun giving us weird bosses to deal with in this game uh it, but it has you know the standards like the grim reaper and legion and uh and, and oh i don't i'm i'm trying to think of it's of, a pretty of, of gross cool ones. depiction of Legion as well. Like, definitely, it's like, so gross. yeah. Um, Balor is probably the most famous one, just because of the way it uses like the background. Um, because Balor yeah. is like right in the back, and you have to like. That's probably it's. I want to say it's the hardest boss. Probably the hardest boss up there with um death. Um, just because it does so much damage, but it's pretty easy if you get to it, especially. After going like through those side the rooms arena. of the arena, yeah. arena, I thought Ballora was a joke because those rooms were a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that Ballora was not as hard as the way as the route to get to Ballora, but I think Ballora is yes. also amusing because um, right at the when you go into his room, a giant bat appears after mm -hmm. coalescing from multiple bats, and and you know Castlevania veterans will be like, "Oh, the giant bat is the first boss in Castlevania One. What a cool reference!" And then a giant hand from the background just snaps the bat, <laughs> the the bat into just. <laughs> A, a blood splatter and no you're, you're fighting a menacing face with two hands um i don't know like the final boss of Mega Man x1 or something but uh the it, it, it's very it's uh it, it's a cool entrance and a cool setup that just the the boss fights are are, are are pretty creative in this game and uh and after you beat Belor, you get Belor's soul and then one room over you get the giant bat soul that was freshly created for you minutes earlier i i presume <laughs> But it's a uh, and 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 that uh, and also um, you also get a, an ability to turn into a bat in Symphony of the Night. But Soma's bat transformation is so much faster and more agile than oh. Alucard's. So much more. I miss the noise though, like the <laughs> I'm, I, I can't even replicate it. It's not even worth trying. But you know what I mean? Come like on, it's like a twinkle. It. I can't make a twinkle noise. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's it's like a, sque a squeaky noise and occasionally a flappy noise, and then oh, yeah, a, a little uh, a little chirp. Yeah, Bats then, do not chirp. <laughs> yeah they don't quite but uh let's go back into um how that is illustrative of moving through a metroidvania space in general because metroidvania games again the port the portmanteau comes from metroid which has been doing this since the 80s and castlevania which has been doing this since symphony of the night in 97 98 where you're ex exploring a large 2d space usually a castle in castlevania usually a planet or uh or, or, or spaceship in in Metroid, where uh, your progress is gated by abilities or specific keys. Where you like 
parts of the space will be obviously inaccessible, but once you have an ability that lets you get through there or a specific kind of key or the ability to open a certain kind of door, you're able to get through that. So you're exploring through this, an area, like filling in more of a map as you go. So it's, it's non-linear as we've mentioned multiple times. It's a, uh, you're not, it's not always obvious where to go, where you need to go next. You have to sort of check your map, find out, uh, look for places that you were, where you were blocked before or remember, or you remember a certain kind of obstacle before and just, and just, you know, keep thoroughly exploring until you can get to more and more of the castle. And uh, we mentioned a couple things like a double jump is an ability to get pretty early near the end of the game. After that Valor boss fight, you get the ability to turn into a bat that lets you fly around areas uh, that were definitely inaccessible before you eventually get a super jump. Uh, there's one soul that lets you walk on the surface of water and another soul that lets you sink in water and explore it uh, without the need for air. Just a lot of things like that uh, are usually relics or equipment in other uh, Castlevania games that do the nonlinear exploration thing. But in Aria of Sorrow, it's all souls because this game is is sometimes it's got to catch them all with all the different souls (laughs) that you want and filling in that monster list. Corey, you mentioned having fun with the uh, tactical soul system. Was there any particular souls that you enjoyed or were reliable for you for parts of the run? After I beat Legion, um, which I know is toward the end of the game, I basically didn't stop using his soul. It shoots like three lasers that kills just about anything and like one or two hits. I kind of over relied on that, um, even though the MP cost was pretty high. It, it, um, are those light elemental? Because there is so much stuff weak against light elemental in this game. I think so. Um, the game didn't really do a great job of explaining the elemental system, so I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, there's there are elements. Like, there's definitely fire, ice, lightning, dark, and light. And light is so versatile that I think, like, half of the bosses are weak against it, and only one boss is strong against it. Yeah. So if, if you have a good light elemental thing going, then uh, then that'll carry you a long way. The best sword in the game is light elemental. Um, which helps. Legion's a funny one. I'm I'm trying to remember what I used the most during uh, this game. I used the, uh, I, I think it was a Ripper skeleton um, soul a lot because it, it's just a knife. But if the knife hits something, it uh, it deals continuous damage four or five times into them. Yeah. Oh yeah, I use that quite a bit too. Is that the butcher soul or something else? I think the butcher soul is just a regular knife, and then the Ripper skeleton is a stabby knife. I think, but if there's a lot of souls in this game, and I definitely didn't get to the halfway point. Let, let's go back to the story a little bit. It, Soma definitely knows that it's unusual that he has power over souls, and uh, Arikado and Yoko hint to him that it's um, that it's uh it's it is important, but uh, he should you know like, like still still be himself, still just try to get to the end of the castle and protect his girlfriend Mina. And if you go back to the ba- to the entrance area, uh, Mina can give you a hint on where the next place to go is, and Hammer can sell you equipment. Sometimes some of Hammer's stuff is pretty good, and you do collect gold in this game frequently. That's who, which whose only real use is uh, Hammer's shop. But uh, for the most part, I think um, it, it's clearly communicated what every new ability allows you to do. And if you just and even if you're a, a Castlevania neophyte like Corey. Just going through to areas that were blocked off previously will is enough to, at, at least at least get you where you need to go. Corey, do you have any uh, major issues finding the next place or navigating the castle? Um, no, not navigating the castle. I mean, I, I did just what you said. I basically looked at my map and I was like, oh, I haven't been this way before, um, and that typically got me to the next area. Um, 
I did have some major issues in the form of a certain boss that maybe we'll get to, um, but not with navigation. Yeah, sometimes I thought that uh, if I was a little underleveled or or surprised, uh, I was much more likely to die, like to spikes or just getting to the next enemy than 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 a boss fight, with one notable exception. Um, because I, like Zach was mentioning, that how the special rooms in the arena can get pretty hairy in difficulty. Yeah. Uh, I, I I died at least once in the uh, uh, in the underground waterway area where there's like a where there's a demon and a bunch of a, a, a bunch of plants all at once that uh that, that oh, messed with in me. the cemetery area before legion no 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 uh a little bit before the cemetery in the sort of a central area of the yeah. waterway there's one big demon that took me by surprise i think i um. think i was inches away from a save point as well because part of the struggle <laughs> of these games is okay i'm in a new area i need to find the next save point and but, but until then i'm at 30 percent health and and a little worried but uh in ter- like compared to other Castlevania games, I thought that um, Aria of Sorrow is is pretty sensibly organized. I never felt like I was totally helpless or lost. But there, the first time I died in the game, which I think was against the boss that Corey alluded to, was was death in the clock tower. Yep, same here. Yeah, I um, was dealing okay damage, but death was dealing patently absurd amounts of damage to me. I, I think in his second form, I would die in two hits. So like I, I, what I ended up doing was teleporting back to the beginning, buying some better armor from Hammer, and then uh, checking every wall in the clock tower to see if there was something I missed. Turns out there was. There's a holy sword that Death is definitely weak against, like a few rooms right before him. So with some better armor, maybe two extra levels and that sword, I was able to handle Death. But but the, not being totally ready for the Grim Reaper, I died real hard against him a couple times. It, it, it's the It's the big difficulty spike of the game, I think. Yeah, it's where I learned the value of the rewind mechanic. Because um, I just kept going back and back and back. I was like, nope, I'm not going to accept this hit this early into the fight. Um, and it may have taken me like 40 minutes, you know, to beat him. But I, I got through it that way. Did you have the Mistletane or the uh, the Holy Sword this week against? No, I wish I did. Yeah, I, I didn't either. Some... It, it, that helped me a lot. It's, a, it's in the clock tower a couple rooms before him. Yeah, I went back to get it later on, but I didn't have it for that fight, and I just rewound it a few times because I was like, "It's it's not just that death does a lot of damage. I think some of his attacks are genuinely a little bit fiddly to dodge. Like sometimes the scythe hitboxes are really strange. Yeah. Like you can get nicked by it, and you won't take damage one time, and then another time it's a different part of the scythe, and it's like, oh, I'm gonna take two hundred damage, am I? All right. Yeah. And, and all the, and all the tiny sickles floating around the air aren't always easy to dodge. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're, if you feel like you're playing Galaga or something, navigating <laughs> all of them. Yeah, I mean, I found that like ducking worked like in yes. the. Uh, most of the time but yeah it was definitely a struggle <laughs> yeah i i uh in his second form because again for for a while death is incorporeal uh and it's just a a scythe moving around slowly with tiny sickles uh scattered around all the time but then in the second half of the fight death appears in person wielding a giant double-bladed scythe going around very quickly dealing a lot of damage his movements are more linear and you can slide under him a lot of the time. But uh, again, he was strong enough to kill me in two or three hits in that second form. So it, it is a big difficulty spike. It's helped if you can find the Mistletane sword in the clock tower before him. But uh, the soul he gives you, I ended up using a lot of the game. It's it's a it's a one of the, um, uh, it's not a, what do you call the souls that are activated with the R button? I don't remember, but 
it, it's it's not pa- i think the yellow ones are passive the red ones are bullet but what are the blue ones guardian maybe guardian soul sounds right sure well well, let's say guardian soul a a couple episodes ago on the uh on one of the knights of the old republic episodes i forgot the word guardian and kept saying jedi knight instead so these (laughs) aren't yeah these aren't uh jedi knight souls these are guardian souls um i actually use the death guardian soul a lot because just having little sickles flying around you would like you know hit bosses or faraway enemies more often than you'd think so yeah. it was just like just things were just dying around me before I even they even before they even got close to me with that soul on. If you can spare the mana for it, I think death soul is underrated. I feel it's what I had to use to get through a couple of rooms in the arena. So yeah, <laughs> which was to me the difficult spike in this game. I used so, it yeah. for the final boss, and it was great because the final boss is a lot of different targets uh, yeah. around the room where they are. That makes sense. Yeah, that's a good one. I use it more in Dawn, which is one of the only direct sequels in this series um because you get the same soul from the same boss spoiler um <laughs> but yeah it's super good in that um i want to bring it back to like navigation really quickly because oh, um, one of the things that like it's not necessarily a struggle um and this was improved it's either improved in dawn or later on in other um castlevania metrovania games that use like a similar sort of system to the tactical soul system um but you can only have one set of souls attached each time so every time you go to the underground cemetery area or the forbidden area or like any of the underwater areas you have to go into the menu put on the enchanted soul that lets you walk underwater again take it off again when you leave the area and like it's just kind of a little bit fiddly so like that's the only real annoyance that I've ever really had with this game because you can't have more than like three soul sets. Whereas I think in Dawn of Sorrow, I think you're allowed to swap between like two different sets. You certainly can in something like Time Spinner, which is slightly different, but um, because they're all attacking souls in that. But yeah, or orbs, I should say. But yeah, like ha- like being able to switch loadouts with one button tap is really useful in more recent Metroidvania games. And and like jumping into the menu to, just to get a specific thing for navigating. I mean, that feels like. I mean, that feels like playing uh, Game Boy Link's Awakening a little bit, yeah. right? which is a game uh, a decade older than our, than uh, Aria of Sorrow. And that is an annoyance that's mitigated somewhat in later games. But I, I, because I knew I was playing a Game Boy Advance game, I did. I really didn't hate it. Like, oh, <laughs> I mean, no, it, 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 it was annoying. But some, but, but it's, it's like, oh, yeah, this is a Game Boy Advance game, isn't it? They only they only give you six buttons to work with and two of them are start and select. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just thought that those, those, both those abilities, especially the one that allowed you to go underwater, just felt less satisfying, I guess, was mm. part of it for me. Like, switching back and forth was annoying, but, like, compare that to, like, double jumping or the flying bat, and they were just, like, more fun to play with. And, like, so to me, the fact that I had to flip back and forth um, and also try to navigate the water and, like, consistently have to flip back and forth, like, it was part of the game design they wanted you to flip back and forth, I thought was frustrating. Yeah, you should have to, like, sacrifice a strength boost. And there are some enemies in the underwater area that are a bit of a pain. Like, oh my god, what's the skeleton with, like, the snakes that comes out of its eyes? Oh, I I remember that. Is it Loa? No. No, no, no. That's the Persona or SMT monster that looks like that. My mistake. It's called Maneater. Maneater, okay. Now, what's the perfect Hall of Notes joke to tell for this for that situation? <laughs> uh, I got nothing. You know, by the time you get to places like the cemetery or the forbidden area, you are sort of seeing the end of the story. Uh, there's one grisly scene right in front of the arena where you see uh, Graham stab Yoko in the in the abdomen, and Graham, who uh, confronted you earlier, 
furious that you seem to have the, this monster control power that he craved, uh, leaves in a hurry. And Yoko and uh, Arikado comes to um, to help Yoko, and and they both tell you to meet Graham at the th- in the throne room at the top of the c- tower. Uh, I think they mentioned that Gra- is Graham like a cult leader or uh, some some kind of like fake or fallen clergy? Because he he mentions that he uh, was born on 1999, the day that Dracula died in this part of the storyline. And he believes himself to be a reincarnation of Dracula and the true master of the castle. And he thinks that Soma might be a threat to his, uh, to his claim if he's able to control the monsters of the castle. So uh, Graham goes from like a pleasant introduction, then an obvious creep in his second meeting, then him attacking Yoko in your third meeting. Um, and, uh, you know, we should mention a little bit. Um, Yoko's last name is Belnades, which implies that she's a des- descendant of Sifa Belnades from Castlevania Three. And Castlevania Three, you, you know, similar to the Castlevania animated series, is uh, a Belmont teaming up with the son of Dracula, teaming up with a, uh, with a member of the Beldenese, a Belnades family of mages. Uh, maybe this is foreshadowing a little bit, uh, and, and but and also uh, they turned that into a very very cool mode in Dawn of Sorrow. Um, mm, so it, good. It, it, that is maybe a more that, that's almost as fun as the regular way of playing Dawn, Dawn of Sorrow when you unlock that special mode. It's a good uh, challenge. It's a it really is. good challenge. Yeah, and all three of them uh, animate really well uh, in that in that too. But uh, that's uh, a little bit to the side. Um, near the end of the conflict, you uh, fight Graham at the top of the castle, and also this is a, a portion of the game where uh, Jay reveals his true identity to you. He, his amnesia gone. He reveals his name is Julius Belmont. He is the person that defeated Dracula in 1999. And where you are now, what, what year is this? Is this 2035? 2035, yeah. yeah 20, that's 13 years. So yeah, we're almost, yeah, it's almost time for uh, Dracula's castle to rise out of the uh, lunar eclipse, <laughs> out of the solar eclipse. In the solar, don't go to Japan on holiday in 2035. Don't go near the um, Hakubar Shrine, if it exists. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Julius reveals, uh, Jay reveals that he is Julius Belmont. And he th- and he he has suspicions of what's going on here, but uh, he he lets you go and take on Graham. And here's the part where the story diverges, and you can get one of a couple different endings. There are three books hidden in the castle. Each one of uh, each one basically a suggestion to equip a certain soul. And uh, I believe they are the Fire Demon Bullet Soul, the Giant Bat Guardian Soul, and the uh, uh, the Succubus Enchanted Soul. And, and each book is like a hint to equip that uh, those three. And those three are basically Dracula powers because uh, in, in Dracula's traditional boss battles all the way back to the NES days, he, fired, he can toss out three fireballs like the Flame Demon. And of course, in, uh, in all kinds of vampire fiction, Dracula can turn into a bat and heal himself by, uh, by, from the blood of his uh, targets. So if you t- fight Graham... Who, who has powers similar to Dracula for part of his fight, with those souls equipped, then after you defeat him, the story continues, and, uh, and, and you can uh, get the best ending. But if, if you defeat Graham without those three souls equipped, uh, Soma like, becomes consumed by the power of Dracula, uh, he, and, uh, and, and the ending scene is, uh, is Julius walking in about to kill him. With, the, with a, a classic tossed wine glass, just like, uh, just like Symphony of the Night. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah it's very cool um so if you've got the three souls and don't equip them you do get a slightly different ending where soma can leave the castle um oh uh, yes yeah so you don't have to you have to have them 
Oh god, what am I trying to say here? So you have to equip them to get the best ending. But if you've got them and you kill Graham, then you get a slightly different ending. And if you don't have one of them, or you don't have all three of them, then you get that bad ending. And if you die, you also get an ending. So there's four different endings here, or five. I remember from many years ago, if you die uh, against the final final boss, you get you get a version of that bad ending as well. Yes, that's right. So there's technically six endings here, which is uh, quite a lot. It was some repeated content. I, I didn't know that there was an option to just leave the castle. Yeah, that's, without getting the, good that's, that's the first that's one I got. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I didn't have all three souls at that point, so I'm not sure. Ooh, I think that I might just be like the normal because I know I didn't have the succubus soul yet. Like I knew I needed to go back and grab it, so I'm not sure. Interesting. Well, regardless, there are a couple endings, but if you do have all three of those souls equipped from the hint books and defeat Graham with all three, then uh, basically a bunch. Um, all of the Dracula power or whatever from Graham enters Soma's body at once, and he realizes that not Graham, but you, Soma, are the incarnation of Dracula, and your ability to control the monsters of the castle is uh, is Soma inheriting the powers of Dracula. And then you're confronted by Arikado again, who if it's it's should be very clear is you know is a. a is they literally Jap- accidentally call him Alucard early in the I, game. I yeah. probably did, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> they do. But, uh, or someone does. Maybe Yoko mentions it. But Arikado is Alucard, the main character of Castlevania Symphony of the Night and one of the main characters of Castlevania Three way back in the 80s. Uh, and he's clearly working as some kind of special agent guiding the reincarnation of Dracula so it, so it happens as harmlessly as possible. He, basically, I think... He wants Soma to inherit Dracula's powers so Soma can maybe use them for good or at least prevent Dracula from from resurrecting properly again. But Arikado tells Soma, "Yes, you have the powers of Dracula, but you're 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 you know, you're a strong, tough kid with a lot of willpower. You can uh, if you can eliminate the chaos at the center of this castle, uh, the powers won't totally consume you and you'll be able to, you know, have Dracula's powers while still being Soma Cruz." So that leads you to finding a secret part of the castle. Um, where you travel to, I think it's called the Chaos Dimension, or maybe just Chaos. Chaos Realm. Chaotic the Chaos Realm. Realm. That's it. Sorry. Right. Chaotic Realm. It sounds about right. There's like I, I don't know. There's there's so many Chaos Dimension Realm things in fiction that I'm definitely conflating eight of them right now. But uh, going to there, you 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 have to go navigate through a twisty uh, part, a twisty map that like recreates different settings and scenery from the uh, from elsewhere in the castle, and then it has you defeat some some vague like final fantasy ass boss with eyes and technical and tentacles and floating things chaos itself yeah, yeah. chaos itself and the, which is you know a, a different uh final fantasy boss you, you know the, the the large demons in the castle do a little bit resemble big purple chaos from ff1 well if you want some uh, if you if you want some more final fantasy power um parallels um Hit me. like you've got the four demon enemies haven't you like um Kegnazzo. um well they're not all they're not all called right they're not all the, no the, the localization in this game is a little yeah, choppy <laughs> the, the, the dialogue's a little stilted and some of the enemy names are obviously incorrect uh the Lubicante. one you're yeah the one you're referring to is rubicante because you have the you have the four torturer demons from dante's inferno that were uh, re- that were and those demon names were used for the four fiends in Final Fantasy IV: uh, uh, Scarmiglione, Cagnazzo, Rubicante, and uh, and Barbariccia. But for, in, for Rubicante in this game, they translated it as Lubicant, 
And you are lying to me if you don't look at that and think lubricant. Yeah, yeah no, I used to think it was that when I would, when I first played it. But also, Scummy the Owns in it as well because they'd call it Skull Million. Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I didn't notice <laughs> yeah, that. But do. the other one is this isn't even a Final Fantasy parallel at this point. Um, Curly should be Carly, the you know the um, warrior demon in um. Oh, Carly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carly. Cal- yeah. Um, yeah <laughs> Curly uh, is Carly. Oh geez, yeah, Kali was one of my mains when I uh, when I beat uh, Shin Megami Tensei Three Nocturne last year. Oh, I, yeah. I, I had Kali in the final boss. I, sh- I should have realized that because it is because Kali is a multi armed demon, just like a, a, a just like the 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 very small Curly in Art of Sorrow. So yeah, this is not a great localization. Like localization in two thousand three is not what it is today. But uh, but also, I mean, some of the dialogue is a little rough going through. Oh, it's like, God, yeah, yeah it's, it's like you know, maybe this isn't out of place in a in an NES Castlevania or Ninja Gaiden game. <laughs> but but back then, like bad localizations were a little bit more charming. Oh yeah, I just think it's really funny, basically. <laughs> but uh, one part of the game that I think has aged quite beautifully are the uh, visual designs of the characters and the soundtrack. Because you have uh, the same two women doing those roles as Symphony of the Night. Uh, Ayumi Kojima, no relation to Metal Gear Solid Kojima, doing the gothic-style artwork. And Michiru Yamane doing the soundtrack. Excellent work on both fronts here. I think the main characters and key art look great in this game. And the soundtrack has a couple of real, real fun tunes in it. I, I, I love the Clock Tower music. Oh, it's, it's, yeah. so good. It's, it's a really good Castlevania Clock Tower. It's a difficult one, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of Castlevania clock towers are full of spikes and turning gears and Medusa heads. So that, mm. that, that part is, uh, is just like clock towers of the past, but this, this version of the clock tower theme that starts out with, with sort of quieter piano and getting much more energetic. It's, it's just a really good version of it. It's a, uh, I, like, I, I almost wish that the sound chip on the GBA was better. So, uh, so, uh, Yamane would have a little bit more technology to play with, but I, I can't argue with the end result. The, there's a lot of good sound work in this game. And also the, uh, the enemy screams upon dying are great. The, 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 the limited voice work, uh, that characters have, it, it's, it's a little bit like skies of Arcadia where like, like there isn't a lot of fully voiced voice dialogue, but there might be like one shouted out thing or, uh, or one comment accompanying dialogue. But it's a it's like for Game Boy Advance technology. I think the sound work is really good. Yeah, I agree. Pretty much. I don't really have anything to add to that. Um, yeah. Why is it like the arena areas always get like really funky music? Like I don't really get this like Castlevania tradition of doing that. But yeah, I guess I'm down for it. I suppose because the arena area here is like and they're always like really difficult as well. So you just get like this like really upbeat music and then you're just like, oh. then like Skull Millions. It, it, yeah, it's full of Skull Millions and. Uh... And beam skeletons, Oof. and uh, and I think I think big I think there's minotaurs and big armor knights in it as well. Yeah, there's a bit of everything. You've got the oh, that was another good soul actually. Um, the uh, the mantle mantle killer, like the oh, clock yeah. that swaps HP and MP. That's another good one. And that's oh the, yeah, that was helpful. That yeah, was that, that's the only way to kill a, an iron golem that had that because think they have it, one it's MP. The most convenient way of killing them. All right, right well, yeah, yeah, every hit does one does one damage to it and it has like thousands of hp but only one mp and there's a lot of really specific weird souls in this game like uh what's the flying fish that zooms by in an instant it's the skyfish yeah skyfish that's it and you can really only reasonably kill it if you have the the time slowing down soul from the chrono mage bunny rabbit and <laughs> and, and you can't you can't touch the chrono mage bunny rabbit until you have the uh, the Gallimoth soul, which is uh, from an optional boss. I think, is that from, from Legion, from the graveyard area? Uh, 
them. I can't remember where you get the Gallimoth Soul. Yeah, I can't remember where you get the Gallimoth Soul from, but the optional boss is from Symphony of the Night, isn't it? Gallimoth. Yeah, well, no, it's the optional boss from Symphony of the Night, which is the final boss of Kid Dracula for the, for, yes. for the Famicom. The, the, the space alien that baby Alucard fights in that weird, weird... I think, oh, jeez, I, I think it's a Game Boy game. It is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they took the weird space alien from a Game Boy Castlevania spinoff, made it the super boss in Symphony of the Night, and then made it soul available to stop time, or uh, to, to prevent... The, the, to prevent messing with the timeline in Aria of Sorrow. Igarashi loves making deep cut references. He loves it. You, you, can, you can see his weird sense of humor and, and corners of his brain in all over this game. And, 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 and I love it. Like I had so much fun playing Bloodstained Ritual of the Night uh, when that came out in, what was that, 2018 or 2019? 2019, uh, yeah. yeah. And like it, it, this was a kind of game that I really missed. So uh, Playing that in 2019, replaying Symphony of the Night a couple of years ago for the podcast. Uh, Alana, you and I did a one-off episode on it uh, mm-hmm. a while back. And then and replaying these three advanced games over the past couple of months was a complete blast for me. Uh, but so, uh, uh, Zach, um, you eventually got to the uh, good ending and everything and, and got to 100% map, but not 100% souls. Like, uh, what's your plan for other Castlevania games? Like, do you want to seek more out or do you think you're you're just maybe okay for now because i don't know this this made me want to go back and play through my ds my ds collection oh i mean i definitely want to play others i mean like i I, from what my understanding is like the two other ones that are included in the gba collection are one is not that good and one is fine um i'd say the two that i really want to play are dawn of sorrow and order of ecclesia but um getting my hands on either of them is somewhere in the range of no, I'm not spending that much money. If so you're, if you're really nice, I might have copies of them. One I'll of them at least. <laughs> if you want to also uh, make uh, borrow them from someone who's a shorter geographical journey away, I might be of service. As well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I want to play both of them. Although I've heard that there's some weird jank in the Don- in Dawn of Sorrow um, with drawing uh, an entire something. mechanic. Oh yeah, yeah geez, oh the touchscreen stuff in Dawn oh. of Sorrow, Dra- drawing glyphs to cast big spells. Oh damn. Yeah, I can't I can't draw a stick figure effectively, so that concerns me. But um... <laughs> uh, maybe don't sign up for any Okami episodes of Retro Encounter. Though. <laughs> Just saying it. No, no, yeah, no. I I played enough Okami to know better. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I mean I I really enjoyed them, but I mean I. I haven't played it's probably like still less than 10 metroidvanias that i've played and every time i play one that is good it makes you want to play more of them and uh, uh cory i want to present you the same question like how excited or interested does this does playing aria make you in other games of the genre because we, we there will be more discussions on the games of this genre this month yeah i think uh pretty interested um definitely playing super metroid for um the next episode of retro or maybe the one after um sweet so that's happening and so i'll definitely get more metroidvania exposure kind of like zach i haven't played many of these and every time i do and i like it i'm like what have i been doing like why am i not playing all these games um so i think for me symphony of the night is probably next because it's i think the most accessible i think i can get it on xbox you can get it on you can get it on xbox or playstation store uh from the castlevania requiem collection and I think if you want to get real fancy, um, uh, maybe, I don't know if you can add money to it anymore. The old PSN store on PS3 or Vita, you can get the uh, the PlayStation 1 ver- uh, version emulated there. You still can. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So there, there, there's a couple ways to play Symphony of the Night. Yeah, I think that's my next step. I also do want to try the uh, DS games. I've heard they 
kind of take after this one, um, but I don't have a way of accessing them. And I also can't draw a stick figure or even like a circle. <laughs> so that's pretty foreboding for me. Yeah, you got to draw fast as well. Yeah, yeah. You have to draw circles and crosses at least, things of that nature, and sometimes quickly. Uh, again, I don't think any of it is as bad as the raft segment in Okami where you have to draw tiny oh, loops on the corners of your yeah. raft to draw vines to the shores to, to stop the raft. It's like, yeah, that, that, that was where I stopped playing that game. So thank you for the reminder. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I, I, ha- I have beaten Okami, but that section still ga- gave me a lot of problems. Uh, and, and it didn't help that I was playing it on, I think, PS3 instead of a proper no, uh, stylus. Yeah. But yeah, uh, a lot of people were big fans of this kind of genre in the 90s and 2000s, or even further going back to Metroid games in the 80s, to which point that it felt like there was just, a, when the indie boom of uh, video, video games really happened in the late 2000s through the 2010s, with services like Xbox Live Arcade and Steam exploding and uh, and, and PSN expanding, like there was a, a, a wave of indie Metroidvanias the past 10 to 15 years. And um, a lot of them are great. Like, uh, Alana, you and I have had long conversations about how wonderful Time Spinner is. Mm-hmm. Many people, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on a waiting list for an, a Kickstarter I backed in 2016 about an indie Metroidvania that's, that's allegedly still getting made. Oh, yeah, I know what you all <laughs> yeah, mean, you, yeah. You, you probably do. There are a lot of games like this because of, um, of, of how this very specific weird genre resonates with people. And so uh, there's going to be plenty to discuss later this month. Um, we're playing an indie Metroidvania called Salton Sanctuary. It also has some Soulsborne uh, DNA in there uh, at the end of the month. But uh, before we go into our final thoughts, I, I, I want to—I I have two more things to ask about. First of all, like, is this really the end of Castlevania? Like, this collection in late 2021 was great, but like will konami get off their ass and, and just let another studio make a castlevania game or are or are we doomed to arcade collections and remakes um i mean i think that it's possible eventually but konami has shown no interest in letting go of the properties um unfortunately for this and also other properties that i like even more um so possibly be? <laughs> i have no idea they won't even re-release those games i mean come on um but yeah i i, I think that probably at best, we're looking at another decade before they let those go. And at that point, will the brand really be worth much? I don't know. So, Alana. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I must be honest. I feel like even the Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, which is essentially like Castlevania, Metroidvania 12 or something, like, I kind of feel like the indie space has boomed so much in the genre that they've done so many other different things. And I feel like Castlevania could like pull from it. You know, like Metroid Dread came out like months ago and we hadn't had a pure metroid game brand new ignoring the metroid 2 remake um for like what 19 years was it between fusion and dread um and 17 years or something like that and they managed to like do that and make it all really fresh and wonderful um so it might happen um but to be honest with you like i just feel like there's enough out there that i'd love a new castlevania game of course i would it's one of my favorite series but like um, Konami would rather make NFTs out of them, basically. So, <laughs> oh, no, no, they they did announce an NFT of I think the map of Castlevania One. Yep, they did for the 35th uh, anniversary. Uh, so, oh, so oh, god, yeah. 
I, I don't think their pachinko parlor or health club business is thriving terribly well right now <laughs> for reasons that that shouldn't be that hard to figure out yeah nft culture is a bit different um in asia though so i know certainly in thailand Maybe, it's yeah. fairly big um and yeah so i think that it's probably way more acceptable out there but obviously konami don't care basically is what i'm saying like with metal gear they do not care so and the other one as well you know the one that i won't mention which is you know you get a new one anyway it's fine technically they released an arcade collection with uh that had gradius one on one and two on it uh, Ooh, a, a year they? a year or two ago and and that was that that you know warmed the cockles of my heart that loves the opening theme song to gradius 2 but yeah. uh but yeah, I, I think Konami's not really interested in making new video games. Um, yeah, and to be honest, like I would rather take the creative properties off of the people who worked on them rather than from direct from the corporation that funded them. If that makes sense, like if you know, like Igarashi made Bloodstained, was more than happy with Bloodstained. Did it have Konami's involvement? No. Was it Castlevania? Yeah, it sure was. Just under yeah. a different name. I'd rather take that with the same people who put the time and the effort into it outside of a company name than anything you know I, what i mean i i just wish they would they would license these to even if not the original creators just like good creators that want to do well by the yeah but by, by the property it, it, like i i love metroidvania games and i'm and i'm happy to play indie ones but there, there's just something special about a proper castlevania game with belmont versus dracula at the end yep. that i that makes me a little sad i mean i mean Corey, you haven't played a ton of castlevania games uh but at, le at least more than you had a month ago and you're interested in pursuing other Castlevania games, like, but does it is it a little weird knowing that all the ones you can play are already out there? <laughs> I think the word I would use is sad, because like I really <laughs> like this one, but just you know the future seems bleak. I don't mean to be pessimistic, um, but Konami doesn't seem inclined to like you know uh, revitalize this series. So yeah, I mean, it weird and sad is, is how it makes me feel. I think there are so many different indie Metroidvanias that do look promising that I think I could live with it, you know? Like, that I'm going to get the itch scratch from somewhere else. Um, but it's definitely unfortunate that, like, the best is sort of behind us, so to speak. That's how it feels to me. Yeah, weird and sad and not really much... Uh promise going forward that that is the current state of castlevania but the past of castlevania is still pretty excellent because um over the i would say seven or eight metroidvanias of the 2000s and going back to the action games of the 80s and 90s there's a lot of good castlevania out there and this might not be the last castlevania episode of retro encounter but i i don't think we'll be reporting on a new castlevania um game uh, anytime soon but i do have one last thing i want to bring up uh uh, Alana, you know the uh, in the floating garden area, there's that uh, the door to the chaos realm. Yeah, I do. Yeah, what's the monster right in front of that? Oh goodness! Oh, it's like the kicker skeleton or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's a skeleton with a cape that drops a belt, and when you defeat it, you get a dive kick ability. Oh, that is a that's a common rider skeleton. It is a common. Igarashi put a common Rider skeleton in this game in 2003, and I didn't start watching Common Rider for almost a decade later. But now, I have found the common Rider skeleton in Castlevania. I, I looked at the belt description because I'd never got it before, and I was like, mm -hmm. "Huh, this is funny." I was like, "Let's log that for later." 
totally forgot about it until you brought that up. And now I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Now. Every common writer is a Japanese superhero starting in 1971. All of them transform with the belt. All of them have a dive kick for their finishing move. And many of them have a scarf. So well, that is, that is one, 100%. But uh, that's something that Igarashi has in common with, uh, with Hideo Kojima, love of common writer. It's, I was going to say, it's probably quite sad, isn't it? Because if that's Japan in uh, like 2035, then that could be genuinely like an actor who played a common writer character. <laughs> oh, God, maybe. Oh, is, is, that, is that Hiroshi Fujioka's corpse that you did we defeat there? Uh, uh, Segata Sanshiro himself? Uh, yeah, yeah. The, those old, uh, those old uh, Sega Saturn commercials are the original actor for Common Rider. <laughs> but anyway, okay. If I am talking about uh, about the career of um, the actor that played Common Rider in 1971, maybe we're near the end of the episode. Um, uh, we have the next four episodes of Retro Encounter planned out, but depending on who's available and when we can record them, I'm not sure what order they're happening in. But I can tell you what all four of them are. We are doing another adaptations episode where in which we talk about. Uh, we do a little bit of hypotheticals and and prognosticating about what uh, existing works of fiction um, or other video games would make great RPGs and uh, and basically just sort of fantasy booking uh, different kinds of um, potential RPG adaptations. Uh, we we did one adaptations episode in 2018 and another in 2020, so this is the third in the trilogy, and that's so that's coming later this month. Also later this month. We have a lot of people on RPG fan staff excited about playing Pokemon Legends Arceus or Arceus. I don't care if, if it's supposed to be Arceus. I'm calling it Arceus. So, uh, uh, so Pokemon hype is high right now, and we are going to hold a Pokemon fantasy draft, yeah, uh, sim- kind of like our Elite Four episode from a couple years ago. But we're basically, you know, playing a dumb podcast game to talk about our favorite Pokemon characters and monsters. And Alana, you're going to join me for that one, right? I am. Arceus is fantastic so uh, yeah my pokemon hype is really high right now which uh, hasn't been for a very long time i want to play that thing but I, I don't need another video game in my budget right now you will spend like 70 hours on it i'm 45 de- hours in and i haven't beaten it so <laughs> i definitely would i i would I, I i love the collection part of pokemon uh yeah, so- that's what it is and you collect multiples all the time and i'm you know nikki sold it well on random and, a and, couple weeks and ago. i even like gen 4 mo- more than most people do because like, gen 4 was the game that got me back into pokemon after taking a break for like six years there you go yeah i should play that but it's not happening anytime soon but one thing that is happening soon is that Pokemon Fantasy Draft sometime this month. Also, we are doing two other games as part of Metroidvania Month. Uh, Corey, we alluded to both of them in this episode. One of them is going to be Super Metroid, which is about as non-RPG as you get on this podcast, <laughs> except for the episodes called This Is Not About RPGs. Um, but uh, but that is one of the definitive Met- and best Metroid games, and we have some Metroid appreciators uh, gonna, that are going to talk all about it later this month. Also, Salt and Sanctuary... One of the games that is a, you know, a, a bullet point in that indie Metroidvania movement of the 2010s that we talked about briefly. So please look forward to Adaptations 3, Pokemon Fantasy Draft, Super Metroid, and Salt and Sanctuary happening in this month in some order that I'm not 100% sure of the uh, exactly yet. But, uh, you know, it is the beginning of March, so we can talk about April episodes a little bit. We are recording two episodes on Final Fantasy 13 in April. Uh, that is one of the most glaring omissions in my RPG resume. I've never played more than 30 minutes of a Final Fantasy 13 game, and that is literally trying it at a friend's house when it was pretty new. Uh, but I do have copies of the whole trilogy that have been dust- that have been gathering dust in my shelves for years, 
So now I'm finally going to make a sincere attempt at the first Final Fantasy 13, and then I'm going to talk about it with some other panelists on podcasts for two episodes. So that's going to be something. But uh, listeners, if you want to send us something, whether it's about Final Fantasy 13, Metroidvanias, Pokemon, or your favorite season of Kamen Rider, the best way to, is to email retro at RPGFan.com. You can also uh, comment on RPG Fans message boards, Facebook page, check out our Discord or YouTube channel or Twitch, something, uh, something streaming basically every night of the week on Twitch. And uh, also we have three other fine podcasts hosted by RPG Fan. There's Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness, Rhythm Encounter every two weeks about RPG music, and Phoenix Edge currently on hiatus, but hosted by Hat and Eric, usually recorded live on YouTube and mostly about current events. So uh, you can review those podcasts or, or Retro Encounter on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, however you, are, you choose to do so. Uh, please leave us feedback. We love feedback, but I also... We love all of you for following along with us for uh, an hour plus talking about um, the excellent Castlevania Aria of Sorrow. And thank you, uh, Zach, Alana, and Corey for joining me on this episode. It felt so good playing Castlevania Aria of Sorrow again that I knew I would want to talk about it with people. And I could not have asked for a better trio of partners for this podcast. So so thank you, all three of you. Oh, thanks for having us. It's good to revisit. Um, yeah, I want to dust off my DS now and replay Dawn. So, might end up doing that. Might end up throwing my stylus out the window. We'll see. I have a couple styluses lying around, but I've lost so many that sometimes when I clean house, I find one like behind my nightstand or something. <laughs> uh, but my, my my old uh, bronze DSi has gotten some work over the years, and I think I might it might be time to bust that out again for some Dawn of Sorrow before too long. And after I finish them, I can, I can, you know, maybe I can mail my DS games to Ohio or North Carolina to, to help spread the Castlevania gospel. <laughs> I wouldn't complain. Nor would I. All right. But uh, listeners, that's the four of us. But how do you reach the four of us individually? Let's share our social media access or mm, not access. Let's share our social media accounts with the listeners, uh, starting with you, Zach. Well, no social media for me, but you can email me at ZachW at RPGFan.com, or you can find me on Discord, the RPG Fans Discord at ZachW. Now, Corey. You could email me at CoreyT at RPGFan.com, and I'm on Twitter as M-O-A-R-Coffee88. Now, Alana. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Alana Hagues or the RPG Fan Discord. I am Alana. And listeners, you've heard me say this perhaps 200 times or more. Uh, on tw- I'm most easily found on Twitter at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Eboker for Dogs other times, and on RPG Fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. So, listeners, uh, I-, I think that's about it for today. I need to start playing Salt and Sanctuary because I've heard that one gets pretty hairy, and I really hope I can finish it in time for when we record in a few weeks. Thank you. Good night. Good luck. Rider Henshin!